It's Tuesday the 28th of November and you're listening to the Women's Football Talk podcast. So Brad, we are at the final international break of the year, but before we start looking at any international games and stories, the WSL weekend that has just finished was a goal fanatic weekend, to say the least. Yeah, you ask people to describe the weekend in one word, it's very easy. Goals. Just in titles, massive heading, neon lights, goals, goals, goals. I don't even know where we could start this weekend because every game had <laughs> so many goals in and it's just... Frankly, Sam, it's going to be very... So it's going to be repeated a lot. Yeah, this player scored a lot of goals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, let's go in terms of the team that scored the most goals this weekend and it was Manchester City as they thumped Tottenham Hotspur by... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they thumped Spurs 7-0. Khadija Shaw scoring a hat-trick. Lauren Hemp, Jill Rod, and uh, Laura Coombs Brace gave Gareth Taylor's side a emphatic victory. I mean, what the hell was that Spurs team? They just didn't show up. No, I, I disagree on the, them not showing up. That's well, Tottenham. for a point of time, it, it, they looked okay. Yeah, like there was, they had the moments, but it was as I was going to say, Tottenham. That's what they want to do. They are playing how mm. they want to play. You can't just abandon that, those principles because it's like a top side like Manchester City. You To beat a team like that, you have to stick to your principles and see if you can make it work. But the issue was that they didn't in this. Man City were onto them very quickly. Their press was very good. I don't know if you've seen in the highlights, there was this one moment where Tottenham were playing it around the back and then there's just three Man City players swarming in on them. It's like when yeah. that happens, it becomes very difficult. Like you have to then get it out as quick as possible. When um, when you are like that, positionally wise, it is something that you have to work around fast. And uh, Spurs weren't able to do that because Manchester City's press, like you were saying, just got at them too quickly, and it made it very hard for them to try and play the way that they wanted it. And <clears throat> although I agree that when you have to play against these big teams you have to try and stick to your roots and stick to how you want to play football there are times where you have to actually take a step back and adapt it slightly in uh, the circumstances that were arising throughout this game for Spurs because otherwise you do get that storyline of well if we can continue to play the way we do and the City have already found a way through once then they'll be able to find a way through multiple times if we keep playing that way yeah like in a way it's a it's a humbling, maybe yeah. maybe a reality check as well, but they'll learn from it. That's all they can really ask from this sort of match. When you have a result like that against the top side, you just have to you have to look back on that result, which I'm sure they will. They analyze it. Where can they be better? We pretty much said it. They've just got to be quicker in transition, which that didn't really happen. They just lost the ball very easily as well. And in the future, when they have this style down to a T, they will have improved and they will look better in these kind of matches. Yeah, and I mean, it can't get much worse than that for them. So they know this potentially could be their bottom bit of the season, realistically. Yeah, like 
the fifth one winning person I looked at that and thought if they don't shore this up a little bit more this could be embarrassing and the performance yeah. wouldn't have said it because this didn't feel like one of those typical thrashings no because there's definitely moments where uh, especially throughout the first half you thought oh this could be like about 3-1-3-2 at times during it but then they just weren't able to finish their chances and then getting the <clears throat> two early goals uh, just after the break with Hemp and Rod scoring them. I think that's just killed any like uh, emotion in Spurs to try and fight back and even get a consolation goal at that point. Yeah, the, the defending wasn't great. I'd argue it's before before then. Like Katita Shaw scoring a 37-minute hat-trick, that just kills everything. You're going into the second half, 3-0 down. It's It's not ideal. You have to try and bounce well, back from that and instantly with a four. Technically, it's not. I was going to say it wasn't technically a thirty-seven minute hat trick. She it was like fifteen minutes or twelve to fifteen minutes because of like the first goal was twenty-three minutes and then a hat trick was thirty-eight, so less than thirty-seven yeah, minutes, thirty-eight minutes. But uh, still within the on first the pitch, half, thirty-seven it's... minutes. So I go with yeah. what everyone else said. <laughs> but yeah, um, overall for Man City though, absolutely great performance, getting that win and keeping them right up there uh, in the fight for Champions League places, as well as uh, potentially knocking on Chelsea's door, which is a door that's going to be very tough to break down this season. Yeah, like, they've got to be near perfect. I think, Man City now, they have to be this ruthless now in other games, because you always want to try and build up your goal difference as well, in case it comes down to that in particular. For yeah. me, this was the first time, other than the game against Bristol City, where Manchester City were at their most ruthless. Yeah, definitely. Because um, whilst they have got wins along the way, like you say, uh, excluding that Bristol City game, um, there has been times when you're like, they're there and they look good, but they're not like a ruthless team that uh, Chelsea have been this season. And you know when Chelsea score one, you're 100% going to get two, three, four goals from uh, them, where Man City now, they can kick on just looking ahead of their next two fixtures for the rest of this year. They've got uh, Aston Villa at home next, and then uh, their final league game of 2023, they've got an away trip to Everton. So they're both games that they could easily be scoring four or five goals in if they're on their ruthlessness yeah <laughs> after this weekend I, I can't be as as high on Villa being as good against Manchester City as they were last season and I'm sure I'll get to that later in this podcast <laughs> yeah but um for Spurs like we said I think it's just about recollecting themselves or getting back together now um they've got a tough uh, three games, including one Conti Cup game to end 2023 on. So next up for them, they uh, play host to Manchester United on the 10th. Then they have a North London derby in the Conti Cup away at Arsenal. And then they play Arsenal at home uh, on the 16th. So some tough games coming up for uh, Spurs over these next couple of weeks after this international break is done. Yeah, and as we've said, they've had moments where they've looked like very good side that you would say could finish in the top half of the table. But also mm-hmm. the last few weeks we've seen them just lose the clinical edge a little bit. Martha Thomas not being in the same scoring feats that 
obviously at the start of it, we were all on just, it was unexpected in the first place, but now when it's yeah. stopped, you're going, okay, where's the goals coming from in a little bit. Mm. But of course, Beth England is on her way back as well. So does that solve that issue? I mean, are you expecting her to be firing straight away or is it something where you give her maybe a couple of weeks and then it won't be until the new year comes around that we uh, see Beth uh, scoring straight away? Like, it's going to be hard for her to come straight back into this team and go, right, I know how to score all the goals. Like, yes, she had that instant impact when she joined uh, from Chelsea, but coming off an injury and not playing for so long it's going to take a while for her to get back up to speed and we could potentially be looking like late January because obviously WSL doesn't come back from its winter break until the 20th of January because there's obviously going to be um, FA Cup action before then the fourth round so it could be a while before we see her fully back to the Beth England we saw last season for Spurs. So it could be a bit of a worry if Martha Thomas can't find her shooting boots. Yeah, but again, we say that with Martha Thomas and her form at the start of the season being unlike anything she's ever managed to do in the WSL. So in in that guess, I would, the realistic answer on Beth England would be you give her time. But of course, Beth England could absolutely hit the ground running as we've seen her do for Tottenham last season yeah definitely one that's going to be worth keeping an eye on for Spurs over the next month or so uh right on to Chelsea now and they managed to beat Actually, Leicester City I go by... back because I feel like it, I just wanted to give Khadija Shaw her flowers because I mean she's found the form now I think this is what we've expected from her this season yeah I mean absolutely incredible uh, form she's in and I think I saw something uh, the other day that Manchester City have scored 20 hat-tricks in the WSL and Khadija Shaw has got the most of them with six which is crazy yeah, it was, but wasn't it that the she short time got, she's been here well, she, she scored a hat-trick against Spurs the last time she played against them mm. I, I, the fact that in well, this is Manchester City's 10th or 11th season now in the WSL uh, and she's all, she's been here for two years and she's already got the most hat-tricks in the club's history in the league is absolutely mental but yeah a phenomenal player she's been there more than two years though yeah no, no she's only been there since 21 Wait, really? <laughs> yeah July 2021 well so you learn something new every day <laughs> there <laughs> I told you, I told you I hadn't been that long, but yeah, um, what a phenomenal striker and yeah, I feel like she doesn't get the respect she needs sometimes, even from us, like she's such a great, great goal scorer and I'm very respectful of Bonnie Shaw, how dare you? <laughs> I feel like we don't, just maybe like, don't do the same when you come back off the international back against Villa, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, fantastic form that she's in and uh, Man City fans will be hoping that it can continue for a long time to come. Right, uh, now on to Chelsea versus Leicester. Chelsea won 5-2. Uh, 
a collection of goals, Lauren James scoring a brace, Sam Kerr getting one, an own goal, and then Aggie Beaver-Jones scoring late on to continue her great start to the season. Is that now five and five for Beaver-Jones? Six. Six and six, Jesus Christ. She's got a, is she going for the Undertaker streak? <laughs> is that how this is? Are we going to find a meme somewhere soon? Just Aggie Beaver-Jones stood over all of the WSL badges and <laughs> just the streak in the mm. corner. Honest to God, it's just incredible how well she's doing this season. Um, again, this was a game where it looked like it could have had 10 million goals and could have gone either way because although Chelsea did get those two early goals within the f- opening five minutes, Leicester did fight a way back into the game. Um, Jutta Rantala and Santini scoring goals uh, for them just before the halftime break. So... Going in at 3-2 at the break, you're thinking, if Leicester can get one more goal, then leaving uh, Kings Meadow with a point isn't actually a bad result for them. No, it definitely isn't. But well, I said the same thing for Leicester that I would, would have said for the Spurs. Like, you've got your style that you want to play and you're not afraid to do it against the top sides and take a battering in the process. Mm. I mean, there's definitely... Uh, some things you can clearly see with how Willie Kirk wants his side to play. And I think maybe because they've had a bit more time compared to Spurs, you can see what the process that they're trying to do. Yes, they may end up getting thumped by the likes of Arsenal a couple of weeks back and now uh, Chelsea this past weekend. It's one of them you're like, okay, I can see what they are attempting to do. And against the teams that aren't the top three maybe could even throw Manchester United into that equation as well. The, uh, the style of play against the rest of the league would actually work and they will get the results that will keep them further up the table than what it was last season. Yeah, and it's interesting for Leicester. The goals are coming from numerous areas. We've seen new signings in Rantala and Lena Payton had scored goals at some point. The captain, Sam Tierney, is getting in amongst it as well so mm. like that's a, it's always a good thing for a team to have options all over that can add a goal yeah definitely and um i think positives will come again you, it was a bit of an unlucky uh afternoon for them i mean the never known goal and then uh beaver jones scoring in what the 88th minute so it was one of them where if you took out that own goal it would have been only 40, which obviously a loss is still a loss. Uh, but he just felt like Leicester could have got something out of this game at, at times while I'm watching it. Well, I mean, loss is a loss, but then when the opposition has someone of just unbelievable quality, such as Lauren James, it becomes an absolute, heart, absolute mountain that you've got to climb because Lauren James is in the mood currently <laughs> in the WSL. Yeah, I mean, it, it's now the goal scoring table is Shaw's on six, Martha Thomas is on six, and now Lauren James is also on six. And that's five goals in just the last two games for her. And then Aggie Beaver-Jones knocking on the door with five goals as, as well. Yeah, nuts. Like, these players, they're all just so, they're just so good. But yeah, like, can't I can't mean, keep calling out a podcast saying, oh, yeah, Chelsea are really good again. <laughs> Everyone knows that by now. And Lauren James right now is hungry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the way uh, 
Lauren James has been playing this season is just like she's taken herself to a whole other level and she just looks so, so impressive. Like we've known that she's got the pace and the ability to beat players who, if they're trying to tackle her, she can use her pace and stay on her feet and get past her. But it seems that she's finally added the finishing and the ability to shoot on both feet is making it harder for defenders to know which way to go in certain situations. Yeah, for a defender, it's how do you get the ball off her? And it's one that no one really has yet figured out enough to to just stop her. Having her play at that level means all the other quality players at Chelsea can almost, I don't want to say take a back seat, but they know that they can rely on her to get them the ball and you know score for themselves, i.e. Sam Kerr's finding some form now. Yeah, definitely. Um... I think it's one of them for a defender in that situation. It's you've got to hope that she messes up herself rather than uh, you try and make something because it's going to be. Or just hard. has one of those quiet games. Yeah, where she's not fully at it a hundred percent because it just makes it so much um, harder for defenders if she's playing like this week in week out. Right, uh, where do you want to go to next? Uh, I'm. I don't mind talking about Arsenal. Yeah, uh, so they managed to pick up a 3-0 victory against West Ham. Beth Mead scoring her first league goals in over a year, obviously missing out uh, due to the ACL injury, but a comfortable victory for Jonas Eidevel's side in the end. Yeah, I mean, we could talk on West Ham. They're in a bad patch of form. It's a bit of a struggle for them. We'll talk, as I said, just talk about them in a minute. Beth Mead getting her first goals since her comeback is just nice to see. I mean, she's looked so well since coming back from her ACR injury in the matches that she's played. Like She seems to have lifted Arsenal to another level, it seems. And the fact that she's managed to get those two goals this weekend is just testament to how good of a player she is because it's one that you feel like it's coming, but when is it coming that she's going to get her first goal? And... How quickly will she get back into and, the scoring form that she was pre-ACL uh, injury? Yeah, and just like buses, two come along at once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just absolutely fantastic for her to uh, get them two goals. And again, I think it was an easy performance for Arsenal. I don't think they really had to do anything overly exceptional. I don't think West Ham were really at the races for this game. Um, Rianne Skinner's side, just, I don't know, there's some, something that seems to be lacking from them at the minute. Yeah, I'm struggling to to think what that actually might be. I don't know if it, it is just quality overall in the whole, on the whole pitch, or they're still getting used to whatever style they're trying to play under Rianne Skinner. Right now, they are very much in the bottom end of the table and their next two games are pretty important as well. So they're the ones you're looking at from a West Ham perspective and saying, we've got to get something from this. Yeah. I mean, it's becoming more and more true to what I said in my um, early season. I don't know if I said it in my club uh, predictions or we said it in uh, one of the early podcasts of this season that I said, Dagny Brynjus Dottir being out for this season due to um, being on maternity leave is going to be such a big loss for West Ham. And it has 
proven uh, correct so far because I think her leadership on the pitch and what she's able to do in midfield is something that West Ham are really missing. So I do agree looking at their next two games before uh, the winter break against Everton and Leicester City, they have to be trying to pick up points in this because if they don't, then it's going to be a very bleak season for them. Yeah, I think West Ham as well, they're just in a, I guess, a bit of a transition phase as well. You're saying Bringers Dutty being out, they have to find someone else who can step up in that sort of role. It's still They're still just figuring a few things out, but they are going to suffer this season, unfortunately, because I don't know if they go down there. I think that debate mm. is still very much up in the air, even just a little bit. Definitely. There was a bit of just because I've seen it uh, over the last few days, there's a bit of transfer rumours regarding West Ham that they could be set to sign uh, Katrina Gorry, the Australian international, uh, according to reports from Emma Sanders. Uh, there was, she was saying that a deal for uh, Gorry could be sorted soon. Uh, nothing obviously fully finalised, but uh, she is close to signing for uh, West Ham United in the January window. Yeah, I was going to say Gorry as well is someone who, what are the main players for Australia from that World yeah. Cup where they got to the semi-finals? I think it would be a pretty astute signing for West Ham if he, if they can get it over the line. Mm. And definitely would add something to them that would um, boost them. I don't think she'll be able to change their fortunes around fully, but uh, the where she was playing the World Cup can definitely give that West Ham side a massive boost that they need going uh, forward for the rest of this season. I'd agree. And I don't know if you want to go through the rest of them now. Uh, so Liverpool managed to beat Brighton and Hove Albion four goals to nil. Gemma Bonner, Shanice van der Sanden, Kerry Holland and Sophie Roman-Haug with the goals. Perfect um, game for Matt Beard's side. They just looked 10 times better than Brighton in this one. Yeah, Brighton are a weird team. I've just, I've just, that's my conclusion of them now. Weird team. You'll see them turn up a, a very good performance like they did against Manchester United. You know, they beat Man City. And then this happens. It's, it's, yeah, weird. They're, as yeah. well, they're still figuring things out, but it's not in the same way of a West Ham. I don't know. It was a very strange performance because, like you say, mentioned those results previously with Man United and Manchester City. You're thinking, okay, they're coming to this game against Liverpool. They can do something strong here, but then Liverpool just went, well, actually, we're doing really well ourselves this season. We'll show you why we're doing much better than maybe some people had expected. And then they put on their stellar performance, winning four goals to nil. Like Liverpool are doing what I wanted Villa to do, or mm. thought Villa would do. And that's testament to, to Liverpool, Matt Beard, the job he's doing. Yeah. That I, what Liverpool have done since they've come up, they remember they only came up last season and now they're already up there top five. They've done well. Yeah, and obviously, what I, have say, what I have to say about this Liverpool performance, it was just it was nice moments for players who have had pretty big weeks. Gemma Bonner scoring on her record Liverpool appearance. If you mm-hmm. saw that one, one hundred thirty-five games for them. Shadis van der Sanden scores a week after she became a parent. And yes. Sophie Roman Haug finally doing the standout performance that I think many would have expected from her when she signed. 
definitely. So it was a good weekend all round for uh, those Liverpool players and managed to get that result to uh, give them the further confidence going forward for the rest of the season. And yeah, Roman Haug had a fantastic game and maybe we can see more glimpses of that as the season goes on now. For for them, if they want to finish as high as they can, having a goal scorer in Sophie Roman Haug is going to be huge. Oh, definitely so. I mean, we saw bits of it at the World Cup when she managed to get the hat-trick in that one game. Uh, she, she did really Norway. well. Oh, yeah, she definitely saved Norway. Uh, she did well last season at uh, AS Roma as well. So she's definitely a player that can uh, help Liverpool's fortunes uh, stay good and be positive throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, and she doesn't just add goals. Of course, it was only the one in this game and then two assists and had a contribution yeah. in the, the other one as well. So all round, very good player. Yes, absolutely uh, stellar performance from her. Uh, last two games now, Manchester United beat Bristol City two goals to nil. Uh, two goals early in the second half, Hinata Miyazawa with her first and Nikita Paris with the other. Bit of a strange one from United because during the first half, I was like, they're getting their chances, but they just weren't taking them because of some excellent saves from uh, Olivia Clark in goal for Bristol City, but then the second half they just seem to find that second gear to get them two early goals, and then they seem to take more command of the game in the second half. I thought you call that a weird Manchester United. I call that normal. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the normal Mark Skinner Manchester United performance. You've had to yeah find find that clinical edge in the second half. This time you didn't have to make changes to do it. Interestingly. I need a word on Nikita Paris because her form isn't being talked about enough for my for me personally. Yeah, I mean, we were saying it um, when the England squad was announced, how unlucky she was to be missing out on this because of how well she's doing this season. And again, getting another goal um, this weekend is just showing credit to how well she's actually doing this season. And I mean, that's now four goals this season uh, in the league alone. And yeah, she looks absolutely phenomenal. I mean, me personally, I'm thinking back to last season, she looked like a totally different player to what we're seeing right now. Uh, I don't know whether it's confidence boost or what, but uh, there was times last season I was thinking, oh gosh, like Nikita Paris, you should be able to finish this chance off. You should be able to get uh, an assist or do better in that situation and now this season she looks 10 times better like a totally different player to what we expecting or what I was expecting compared to what we saw last season and she looks absolutely phenomenal and is she how, like, how long can Serena Wiegmann keep her out of the England team right well, well I think we said it in the last podcast I can't we can't remember actually the reason she's missed out is because Beth Mead has been recalled and mm. there is enough trust in Beth Mead to be brought back and do a good job in the England team, which is unfortunate for Nikita Paris because I think she absolutely would have got in if it wasn't for Beth Mead being back, ready, fit and looking amazing. But yeah. it's not a bad thing for Manchester United because they signed JC and Melvin Mallard hoping 
but they're going to bring us goals as well. It's not that they haven't found their feet, but they're still just adjusting, I think, mm. for the most part. Neither are consistent from what I've seen personally. So it's big for them that they have Nikita Paris back in a confident position and she's adding a goal as well. Yeah, definitely. It does allow them, like um, you, you say with JC and Malad, it allows them to adapt more to how Mark Skinner wants to play the English style of football, both obviously coming from uh, European clubs. Mark Skinner focusing massively on trying to attack down the right side again. I, was, I looked again in this game and I thought, she's got still the, like really focusing on his right side. <laughs> I mean, there was times where Leah Gordon was actually doing quite well on the left, but yeah, there was quite a lot on the right-hand side as well. But yeah. um, I mean, I would, it's Jace, she's really good, but there's moments when, you know, you always want to... Is she a winger? She's a winger, right? It's not just me that's thinking, actually, wasn't she more of a striker? Is she not going to be better in the middle? Yeah, I feel like she would be better out wide, use her pace better and skill better out wide and then have someone like a Mallard or Rachel Williams or someone through the middle themselves, I think would be more suited to how JC wants to play rather than having her up front. Yeah, yeah, it's just me then. Uh, I believe that's everything we've talked about in WSL then. So we can move on to uh, try and talk about the international. Yeah, let's talk about how... Um, Denmark manager Brian Sorensen, who's in charge of Everton, I'll beat Aston Villa. Because, uh, yeah, we're not skipping past that. Thank you very much. Look, I can't say anything bad of Brian Sorensen. He follows us, so <laughs> he might be listening. Exactly. So, um, Aston Villa. <laughs> yeah. We're back, all right. Back to square one. <laughs> God's sake. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened, if I'm honest. Didn't sound like a great performance. I mean, it, I don't know what I like. I don't know. There's nothing like a come down from because... the men's team getting in the top four, something I've never seen in my lifetime. To this, <laughs> it's mm. so. Important. I mean, it's not. It's not even like they were dominated because you had Villa had more possession than uh, Everton, which I always say possession means fuck all in football because goals win your game. Could have described that better. <laughs> Uh, then you had more shots than them. You had more shots on target. But you just, I mean, obviously uh, there was the own goal early on in the start of the second half uh, and a pattern with it, but then you managed to get back within 60 seconds of that uh, through Rachel Daly. And then uh, you get the penalty with like 15 minutes left, um, which Natalie Bjorn dispatches and gives Everton the 2-1 victory. So it's... I don't know with Villa. I really don't. Like because yeah, I don't there was so much. People, I don't think many people know. To be honest, it's hard to pick out. We've got the quality there. Things just aren't clicking. Yeah, there was like a lot of hype around Villa at the start of the season, ourselves included. This Villa team I, made I didn't some great signings. Hmm. There was the hype that they could do much better than last season. The signings that they made. Everything that they do looked so much better, but then it's just, I don't know, something's not going right for them so far, and only time will tell uh, for Carl Award side when things will turn around. Yeah, I can only hope for that. 
as a Villa fan, I just want feels like the vibes are slowly deteriorating around this Villa team. Remember last year, it was all good. You wanted to go and watch them. It was great. Now I'll just like I'll go watch, but I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> mm. So, Brad, we are now on to the final international break of 2023. And for England, it is two must-win games in the Nations League. Yeah, must-win in capitals. I think we could definitely say the Netherlands is not an easy opposition, as we've seen yeah. England have lost to this team. Only the the third team to have ever beaten Serena Wiegmann's team while she's been in charge, so... You know, they're a, they're a very good opposition. I feel like they're a team on the rise as well. After the like the Euros was a bit of a disappointment, the World Cup looked like the start of the transition phase and they looked very good from there. And yeah, now yeah. they have a chance at being in the, the final as they're currently top of that group. Yeah, uh, sit on top with nine points uh, from their four games. I mean, very impressed with how they are looking now under uh, Andreas Jonka. Um everything's looking much better for them and um, I am excited to see this game because I think it's going to be a very tough uh, battle between the sides and I don't know what to expect because it's going to be really hard to uh, pick I think one player if the Netherlands do start as she's finally got recalled back into the senior squad uh, which I think is thoroughly deserved is Romy Lurkto I mean what she's been doing at Ajax club level wise uh, this season, as well as previous years, I think she could cause a lot of problems for uh, Serena Wiegmann's side. And then you look at the rest of the squad, we all know what they're capable of. The likes of Jill Rod, how well she started this season. Um, Victoria Pelova being really key for Arsenal in their build-up play to goals and how well she's been playing. And then obviously the forwards of Lika Martins, Lenef Bierenstein and potentially seeing uh, Vivian Miedemar have a few minutes as well. Like, it's not going to be an easy game at all for uh, England, this one. It's going to be something quite funny where Beth B comes off the bench and there's Vivian Miedemar on the other side of it in the Netherlands shirt. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one, I think, mm. if it happens. Not seeing mm. Miedemar hasn't had the same minutes that Mead was getting. Which I think, is that anything into that, do you think? I think it's just more about uh, just rotation and how each player is progressing from their respective injuries. Obviously, Beth's probably further along in her full recovery because didn't her injury happen a couple of weeks before uh, Miedemar's, if I remember correctly? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that's why she's probably getting a bit more minutes and maybe Viv's just not fully there herself yet. Um, but also the big news for England in this sense was that uh, Captain Millie Bright was ruled out uh, of this international break with a knee injury that uh, she's been dealing with. So she's staying at Chelsea. Manchester United's Millie Turner has been called up in her place. So great news for Turner. I think she's thoroughly deserved it being uh, really Really a good defender over the few years for Manchester United and hopefully be able to get her chance at a senior level now for England. Yeah, that England captain's armband is cursed. Like I'm beginning to think, like, first Williamson goes down and now Millie Bright goes down ahead of 
two very important games. But mm. I will get Billy Turner a credit. I think she absolutely deserves the call-up ahead of her as well. Whether we see a feature as much, that's another question, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what uh, Vigman will do in terms of lineup in, te- in that central defence if uh, partnership you do. You'd imagine it'd be a lot of Ruben Moy and then uh, a toss-up between Morgan, Letizier and uh, Turner as the other centre-back partner. So you don't think it's as easy as to just play as Alex Greenwood? I, I don't know. I feel like Alex Greenwood may play at left back. See, my thinking personally is Greenwood will slot into centre back with Jess Carter and then maybe new Charles gets the run at left back because I think she's absolutely deserved a run with this England yeah. team from the start. I mean, she played obviously the start in the last game against Belgium, which was the 3-2 loss. Uh, Neve Charles in that sense and Greenwood did play in centre half before uh, she went off for the, her concussion injury um, and then Jess Carter came in in her place so that could be uh, something that she uh, Vigman tries Greenwood and Carter at centre halves but I don't know I really don't know how to see how that uh back four lines up on Friday. I go off it best while Greenwood is playing centre-back regularly for Manchester City now as well. So it's just a position she's used to. So you would trust her to slide very easily. But of course, with England and how we've seen of them defensively so far, is there going to be enough cover for those centre-backs? Because you play both Bronze and Neve Charles, two very attack-minded full-backs. That could be scary. Yeah, it could be. Uh, a very big problem for them to try and to deal with. Um, but yeah, I think looking to these two games, it'll be massive, uh, I wouldn't say concerns, but worrying times for England should they not uh, win at least one of them games. If they lose both of them or uh, lose in a draw, then it's going to be uh, very concerning how England head into 2024. And start, as far as I'm aware, uh, like we don't top this group, that we're not. There's still a chance to get to the Olympics, even if we don't top this group, right? No, I think because only the top two team, uh, the top team in each group goes through to the semi-finals, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, because how France are doing in League A two, which they're top of, they would take that spot, even though the Olympics is in France. I don't think they're automatically putting a team through. I think from what I remember, I think for what I remember reading, I think you just have to finish top of the group to get the qualification. I don't know if it might matter as I don't I, I haven't fully read and the Olympics and how the qualifying works from there. I just think just why would you not want the big teams there? Why have you got to make it so difficult? <laughs> mm. But um and then I think looking to twenty twenty four for England, obviously no major tournament uh, next year, so that's a bit of a nice no, calm down. Because obviously... say no major tournament, for what I've always gathered of women's football, the Olympics, that's always felt like a very big deal. No, but I'm saying like with, if England don't qualify for the Olympics, uh, then there's no, well, obviously... yeah, that's that's a that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but it gives them that like chance of not having to have so many games close together, and they can have like a 
tournament to prepare because they'll be starting uh, qualifiers for Euro 2025 at some point uh, next year, which is taking place in Switzerland. Um, so I think we can, it's one of them where it's one you want England to win both games, obviously, but at the same time, if you can allow no team at the Olympics and allow Serena Wiegmann more time to adjust to what team she wants going forward. Maybe some of the senior players will want to retire or some more young players come through and impress if you got more friendlies in 2024 before qualifiers start for Euro 2025, then I think that could be something that also ultimately benefits England. Yeah, and for what I keep seeing, of, you know, the youth teams, whenever their squads come out, I'll just look at them and I go, yeah, so much talent there whereas I and the couple of them you'd think knock it on the door of the first mm. thing like Aggie Beaver Jones obviously the main one that pops off the list instantly you'd think maybe 2024 will be the year she breaks out fully and is in that England squad but of course it's who does who goes out in that case yeah it's so you just have to start like having bigger squads than 23 I think that's just the obvious route at this point definitely but I mean, how do you go about playing these players? Because at the minute, you've, I mean, you've got fantastic uh, senior players in the England squad. So you're just like, well, yes, Aki Beaver-Jones and some of the younger players are doing absolutely fantastic. But how do you get them into the first team and playing? Because who do you drop from the seniors? I think you'd say it's there it was the friendlies. You just organise friendlies they're the best games to give them the opportunities because you're not expecting as much. You just want to see how they, they thrive in that situation. Yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, right. Anything else you want to talk about or is that it for this week? That's pretty much all we wanted to cover. Uh, but we probably won't have a podcast out next week. I'm trying to think. I mean, I'd like to talk about England like once it's all done after that. Probably we will actually figure it out because then we could preview pretty massive WSL fixture that is in the first week back as well. It's Arsenal-Chelsea when we come back. That's that's exactly the fixture I want when we return. I mean, there is the game on the Saturday, which is Aston Villa-Man City. But on the Sunday, yeah, Arsenal-Chelsea. No one's watching that. Nobody's (laughs) nobody's watching that one. Yes. Um, So, yeah, we'll be back next week to look back on all the international stories and any talking points that come out from the world of women's football. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram as well, Women's Football Talk, for all the latest news and stories from around the world of women's football. And check out our website, womensfootballtalk.substack.com, for all the latest articles surrounding the world of women's football. And in the meantime, we'll see you soon.